Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsbirth.ie. And together we are Raw Pet Medics. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, just like that. You see, you just about to say something, and I nipped you in the bud. <laughs> but uh, look, tonight is uh, look. Yeah, sorry. First of all, Patreon.com forward slash Raw Pet Medics. We are ever so grateful for anybody that drops onto that and can afford the price of a cup of tea or coffee. And uh, thanks very much. If you can, great. If you can't, not to worry. It doesn't matter. We're going to be here anyway. Um, and tonight we largely Bren are going to be is are <laughs> is are going to be talking about strange little critters. Uh, a few of them you've heard of uh, and a few little factoids about, uh, about, about some bits and pieces out there. Where would you like to start, Brent? There's just so many oh, doozy. Well, um, I think from a point of view, I love the way so mainly me. Come on, you've been doing the research. Um, well, I, who, like, who wants to get going? I have, uh, I have, uh, I, I've got an awful lot here, not on uh, Toxoplasma Gandhi. And I actually put up the wrong image as Brent highlighted, of course. The cat with the with the cloudy eye. That wasn't Toxoplasma gondii, this very uh, um, famous kind of parasite of cats and humans and all sorts of animals. What was it, Brenda, that, that I shared of that of that cat? Well, to me, it looked more like a herpetic lesion of the eye from oh. <laughs> some other thing. And it may be because lots of people get it mixed up with Toxocara, okay? So there is, just as there is Toxicara, for dogs, there's one yes. for, for cats. Um, and that's the one that actually can cause eye lesions in young children. But I think we need to deal first, what is a parasite? Oh, yeah. And, you know, why do we sometimes get disease from them? Yeah. And I think it's really important. And tonight, guys, is not going to be about how can we throttle them with loads of meds or anything like that. This is going to be a little bit of a review of some of the unusual stuff, how we can actually help our cats and dogs from hopefully getting these um, and improve their health and their immune systems and maybe some natural options uh, to give them too. But firstly, what is a parasite? A parasite is an organism which does not benefit the host. It literally uses the host as its food source. So there's no mutual benefit like some of the normal gut flora. Uh, there's no um, great things. But what they would normally do, if they're in the right host, they will use that host not just for food, but also for a way of reproducing. The internal parasites, that means they would usually sit within the gut or some area that they can pump out eggs and larvae, which are then be passed out in the feces, in most cases. A few exceptions, we're going to deal with some of those tonight. Yeah, um, as their name suggests. Yeah, But generally, that's, that's what we're looking at. External yeah. parasites will feed off your pet, be no benefit to them. They may then drop off and lay eggs, etc., um, like fleas do, like ticks do, um, but then to come back to feed on um, the host. So that's yeah. what we want to deal with. I that think. makes sense. To deal you know, with internal ones. Now. Yeah, and and I guess the, it's it's interesting that the, 
the most successful internal parasites, which are the most widespread, you know, the most successful parasites don't actually harm the host too much because they're trying to get their eggs done. I mean, of the ones that we're going to be talking about tonight, they are some of them are very rampant and they are really good at what they do, uh, as we're going to learn. So, yeah, they are just really brilliant. They can cause a bit of damage on the way and they can go wrong and all that kind of thing. But um, what about gut worms, Bren? Do they build, do they always build to such a point that your dog gets dangerously ill? And I'm including all of them in that round worm, whip worm. Do, do they always build to a treacherously dangerous, instantaneously dangerous Not point? Not at all. Uh, and, and the point is that actually um, they are so good, usually at hiding themselves, that actually that's how they can spread so vastly, you know, through populations. Because, um, you know, if they killed the pet there and then, then they're not going to be able to spread around a big population because, you know, it's just going to be overwhelming. Bang, that's done. Yeah. You're out of it. Okay. They don't get to move from that. You know, once the, the dog is dead or the cat is dead, they're dead. You know, those worms can't wriggle out and reinfect. They rely on their eggs being distributed to actually reinfest. Let's go through the general cycle of intestinal worms for especially the round worms is that you ingest the eggs which are effectively hatching into larvae. They are swallowed, get into the intestine. And this is an important bit, usually where there's a level of inflammation encourages them to then pass through the gut wall. And then they pass up through the vessels to the liver, effectively go through the liver, up through the diaphragm, through the lungs, and then come out into the airways, okay? where they then are always maturing, where they're then coughed up in the mucus and swallowed and go back into the stomach. And at this point, they're maturing into uh, full adult worms, which then have the mouth parts, instead of to burrow in and, and do what the larvae did, to actually latch on and start feeding. Wow. Once they've done that, you've got in normal roundworms up to 200,000 eggs a day is what a single roundworm can produce. So you imagine you've got one, you know, hanging around. It can do enough to spread everything. You will never know that that dog has a worm. It will just be distributing it. And the, it's only when there's so many that have done that, that they're elbowing each other out for space, that you actually normally see full worms in the feces. So that's why, well, I never see worms in the feces. They can't have worms. That's not how you look at whether your dog has worms. Because if they're elbowing each other out for space, that worm is then dead. If it's, if it's in its entirety and it's in the feces, that's a goner. It's never going to reproduce again. That's done. So the parasite doesn't want to do that. So this is why we always talk about worm egg counts as being so important. Now, also be aware If your dog has a worm egg count of one or two or maybe even five eggs per gram of certain worms, then it could be that they're ingesting the worm eggs and they're actually passing all the way through. So if they've gone and 
tro- properly trough down on feces that's out there, but their gut is relatively healthy, then what may have happened is that they've chomped those through and passed them out the back end. That's why when we look at this, we look at a 25 eggs per gram as being that cutoff above which it's unlikely that they've ingested these eggs. It's more likely they're producing these eggs. So 25 oh, eggs per gram. Yeah. So that's why there's that cutoff. Now, if they've got less, it's not, oh, they've not got it. Don't worry about it. It is, they may have just not been producing a lot of at that time. So we advocate retesting a week later and maybe distributing over three different defecations to retest rather than just one, just in case there was a cycle of production. Yeah. Okay. So do, do look at, don't overly um, get uh, worried if you see a very low worm egg count, but do retest. But if you're negative, pretty much we say just retest three months later for most people. Um, If there's loads, if it's 200 eggs per gram, then really you need to be embracing at least some of the herbal wormers. Some of the other options we may touch on, but I'm not advocating that you use those. They will have some environmental impacts. They will have some risks. Yeah, we've covered effects. that. We, we, we did, we did a so, of shells on worms, and they can, they can look at those. So they can look yeah, back at that. Yeah, so yeah. we're not going to go too much into that, but I would yeah. certainly say, look, you know, if that's the case, yeah, I've got spaghetti bolognese tonight as well. That's my meal after this, oh, so it'd be great. Yeah, get your dinner. <laughs> Thanks, finished. Lauren. We're starting. We're starting with the friendly ones, by the way. It gets it gets it goes downhill yeah, it from worse. here. Believe me. Um, so that's interesting. Do you know what so you, you said back there about the worms and get, and get gaining entrance? Because most of us would subscribe to the idea that parasites are just awesome at picking out. The 4D animals, dead, disease, dying, disabled, the weaker animals, young pups, really old and infirmed, lower immune system. They can get anybody, but they do have a preference. And so it's interesting that for gut worms to get in initially, the dog has to consume this little half egg larvae type thing. And then it needs to actually gain entrance. And so if you were to say have damaged, inflamed, irritable bowel disease and your guts are just hanging in there, you know, and they're inflamed and damaged then that makes instant sense that if you were eating gut worms in that instance, low immunity because it's smashed from this inflammation as well as a damaged gut lining and the worms are just going, well, hey. And there is one more th- addition to this and this is where else they can come from and many people don't realise that actually the majority of Toxicara have probably passed into your puppy when they were still in the womb or feeding from mum because at that point, that's when their immune systems are lowest. And therefore, the migrating larvae from the mum under stress, which is being pregnant, basically will come out from the muscle that where it's been hibernating and effectively run its way through the placenta or through the mammary gland and be ingested. But if it's coming through the placenta, it's straight into the bloodstream. There... Toxicara, particularly, are great at actually staying hibernated in the muscle until such time as they feel that the animal is stressed. And then they will pass back through the bloodstream, through the liver and up through the lung and be coughed up. And then so they don't have to be eating them at that point later in life. 
if they go through a stress, moving home, change of diet, um, new dogs in the house, get put into a rescue situation, um, have an illness, are put on medication that suppresses their immune system, any of those things could spark those hibernating um, larvae back into activity and then go through that cycle. Yeah, that's so that's specifically for the Toxicara. It's the same with the, it's the same, you're saying Toxicara now and you're throwing me off because I'm just trying to get this other word out here. Toxoplasma, it's the same with Toxoplasma gondii, which is this really famous uh, cat um, um, uh, parasite, but it can get into humans. And, and there's a few, many examples of when that, it doesn't uh, reproduce in humans. The cat is where it wants to be and reproduce there. So, you know, that's the aim, but it doesn't mean it doesn't infect wildlife and and our, our meat and sheep and pork and meat that meat by accident and it can get into us but they say it only harms us when we are severely immunocompromised so um after chemo is one of them and a second one was after um some of i think it was hiv uh aids hiv what was it mm-hmm. there was a, anyways another one, which makes sense your immune system is absolutely annihilated and then it can cause serious serious problems to you so now before beginning with certain cancers and certain chemo, and that's, guys, is I'm talking off the top of my head here, they recommend testing for this or treating it uh, before you even go on that because for it to emerge uh, during that or after that treatment, it would be it would be big trouble for you. So I thought that was interesting. Well, because normally it insists, okay, where it insists on humans is a bad idea if it gets you, if it can insist on your brain. But sometimes you won't even know it's there. So two, I think a quarter of the world, or what was it, three quarters of people? How many people got infected with this disease at one stage? Um, oh, it's, it's a lot, uh, especially for rural people. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the thing. So this is where it's really interesting. And we come back to, we had a great lecture at the RFBS uh, last year by um, Amaya, um, who yeah. does our Feline Fridays. Um, and um, she gave a great lecture showing how these protozoal diseases do what I just said with the worms and actually are encouraged to cross the gut lining when there's a level of inflammation. And so we see that actually as the first barrier within the immune system is that gut lining. So if we could say if your immune system's good, i.e. your gut barrier is the good, good. flora, good flora might be the first barrier and then the, mm. the membrane might be the second. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you're not going to pick up necessarily those particular parasites because toxoplasma okay gondi is a normal cycle is through mice and cats and it passes through in a cycle continuously reinfecting one over the other and again it's pointless killing the cat because you're not going to get perpetuation of distributing that particular parasite so it is a case of if that person has an immune system which is compromised and you've said two very notable ones cancer so chemotherapy um, or hiv but let me tell you anything that suppresses their immune system and that's even pregnancy because it's important to not reject the child that hormones are released to suppress the immune system which allows those organisms Ah. to come into those systems but also, if you've got somebody with a compromised gut in that situation, even more likely to pick it up. Yeah, yeah. So young children with viruses that are in that situation may pick it up. 
yeah. people that have been eating inappropriate foods, okay, and have a horrendous bout of tummy upset and then get exposed to this yeah. may pick that up. Yeah. The next level of the immune system may take that out if they're strong enough. But if yeah. they're not, this is where those organisms can sit elsewhere within the body and cause inflammation. And if that happens to be the brain, that's where they may get meningitis-like symptoms. Yeah. Imagine, um, imagine if you were an animal uh, that explores everything with its face and eats everything, loves a bit of poo. And imagine if you fed that animal some product, I can't think of anything offhand, but a product that spikes inflammation, that we know drives inflammation at 10 times more than raw, that studies show drives gut entropathy, so entropathy, so which is disease of the gut. If you feed a product like that to your dog that drives inflammation, which means lowers your immune system, that uh, increases gut issues, well, buddy, you are asking for it. And I just thought, mm, that's kind of interesting what you're saying, because that all marries up to what people believe they're seeing. Here's a question for you, Brent. Uh, so, it, you know, Cats eating mice and birds, and that's the cycle there, okay? That's how that that's how toxoplasma runs around in a circle. And, uh, you know, the cat, unfortunately for us, the cat will then wee everywhere. So the, the most common sources of toxoplasma infections in humans um, isn't actually from indoor cat litter trays. The number one and two sources are actually eating meat, uh, particularly pig and, pig and sheep, uh, and also gardeners out gardening in the soil, and that's where the cats have gone for a week. Cats are only actually infectious with toxoplasma for a couple of weeks, and then they're immune for life. So it's a really small window. So pregnant people don't need to be terrified of their cat. They need to get smart about what's happening and all that kind of stuff. Listen to what Brent's saying. Well, listen to this, right? So they eat lots of birds. I started thinking, I wonder how many, how many birds get eaten by cats. So free-ranging domestic cats in the US, Brent, give me a figure of how many birds free-ranging domestic cats, so these are guys that live with families, free-ranging domestic cats, how many birds do you think they kill each year? Estimate. So I know, so there was some data that said 85% of cats had bird or mouse DNA in their feces, even oh, though the owners perceived that they were being fed um, conventionally without yeah. any exposure to those, you know, to that wildlife. Um, that, I think, actually also crossed over to those that perceived that they spent the majority of time in the house or within vision, okay, if they went out, yeah. so, so monitored if they went outside. So God knows where they were getting those mice from. Um, so stick, stick a figure on it. In millions. So, how, how many oh, millions of birds? How many millions of birds were... So what's the cat population of the States? Currently, to say say I'm going to say 120 million. Surely not. <laughs> yeah, it's 90 million dogs. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I thought I would have thought there was more dogs than cats, as oh, it is in the there? UK. There's oh, you're right. There's only 58 million. There you my, go. My bad. My bad. 60 million. 60 million. He's, he's always prone to in, uh, yeah exaggeration, guys. Yeah, That's so, why yeah. I called him out on that. 62.43 percent <laughs> of statistics are made up. So how many million? How many million birds? Do you want to take an absolute? Just take a guess. You're not, you're not going to get anywhere close. Am I not? Three hundred million. Between 1.3 to 4 billion birds oh, are taken word. by domestic cats each year. And guess how many mammals? Now you know we're in the billions. Billions. Oh my word. So what we're going to say about three billion? Six twenty-two billion mammals, based on a huge, huge sample of. Uh, isn't that unbelievable? That came out two years ago. 
So that's, that's this is where this toxoplasma thing is running through. Uh, cats and, like and to vets get... laugh at us feeding raw. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all of and those they... cats are already feeding yeah, raw. Yeah, <laughs> I, like... I bet you all those cats are vegan as well. They're just going to topping up those. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's desserts. been driving them. Because that's, that, that's another study, isn't it? That actually, if you feed them raw meat, they're less likely to hunt. Ooh. Is that that'd be a good one? I want that one. So I'm sure that's I'm sure I've heard that reference. I'm gonna I'm gonna dig that out because so I'm here's, sure there is. Uh, um, I'm gonna talk to Amaya. I'm sure she mentioned Amaya it will to have me. that in, in in a heartbeat. Here's one more question for you, Brent. How many? Bearing in mind, toxoplasma while it's a cat thing can harm humans. Okay, how many uh, Americans die of uh, toxoplasma Gandhi each year? Many Americans are killed by it. Killed by it. Cool. Yeah. Let, let me say, should we say... Um, it's not in the billions. It's not in the billions. No, give that hint. 10,000. Ooh, 750. It's a quarter of all foodborne pathogens in the US. A quarter of all foodborne right. issues are toxop- toxoplasma Gandhi, 750 deaths a year. Um, right. So about one third of people have antibodies to T. Gandhi in the world. It's unbelievable. The most fascinating thing about that, but I'm just going to ah, finish. So not how many were infected, but how many died. Dead. Dead. So oh, yeah, no, infections-wise, yeah, it's, it's, it's rampant. It's one quarter of foodborne infections. I'll finish it. just want to get through this one little bit here. The um, zombie rats, we've heard about the fact that Toxoplasma gondii unbelievably um, makes rats and mice seek out cat wee. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, what an unbelievable adaption. How clever. So the rat and the mice don't mind the smell of cat weed. They're attracted to it. And they go, oh, cat weed, cool. But when there's a cat weed, there's a cat. And, uh, and then it gets eaten and toxoplasma. And go, ha, I got you. And so I'm reading about this. Knew this was coming up. And some people might have heard that stat. Most people have. But did you know they're not the only animals that cut con by it? Chimpanzees, when they get infected with toxoplasma gondii, they don't cook their meat. Uh, they're more attracted to leopards. Can you believe that? And leopards are their only proper um, predator. And so I just thought that was incredible. And then I thought, is it possible in humans? Absolutely, it's possible in humans. Um, there was, apparently it's a male thing in males. We found a strong gender-dependent effect of toxoplasmosis on the pleasantness attributed to cat urine odor by infected men. Uh, whereas actually the opposite is seen in infected females, which they couldn't explain. But infected men find uh, um, cat urine uh, more, more interesting when they're infected with toxoplasma gondii. As if a domestic cat is going to do more interesting to or less threatening, because that's an uh, interesting one. Some people are super sensitive to the smell of cat urine, and other people are almost oblivious to it. Hmm. And it, I wonder whether it is that you know they become ah, uh, you know, it's not a problem. Yeah, or like maybe this is the way crazy cat women actually have husbands a lot because they just don't mind <gasps> the smell. Don't, of, don't, they don't, don't mind the smell of cat weed. They don't mind the smell of cat weed. I'm just cat saying, people. <laughs> oh, I'm saying okay. no, but you know, if you if you were if you had twenty cats and your house stank he says a cat, a cat behind him, <laughs> yeah, you're always going to defend them. I'm not going to get this out. But uh, yeah, you want it. You want to. You want a male with a toxoplasma gondi infection, and then he won't mind the smell of the cat wee in your house. Um, and then wait, I've got one more, one more interesting bit. As as Amaya had said, um, actually, people with latent toxoplasma infection were found to be two point five times more likely to have obsessive compulsive disorder and 2.7 times more likely to have learning difficulties. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, the last bit, Amaya, you've made reference to Amaya. She said that Toxoplasma Gandhi is more, is switched on, let's say, by linoleic acid, omega-6, and not oleic acid, 
which is omega-9, which is for meat. So linoleic acid is your plant oils. It's your plants. It's your plant, plant, plant. That's linoleic acid. And so it likes that. And the experimenters, when they first discovered this only not too long ago, they took the... Oh, my dogs just after scaring the life out of me. Don't be <laughs> busting through when I'm talking about scary things. Oh, God. It scared the life out of me. Yeah, but the thing that should scare you is the ghost that's behind you. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, so, so they took, they took uh, different animals and you can pump them full of omega, uh, omega-6 and this, this bug likes it. So the point is that this animal is turned on by plant oils, by linoleic acid. Now, I'm, I'm butchering the explanation for that, but I just thought that was very interesting because pet food, Plant-based pet food, high-carbohydrate pet food, is really high in omega-6, and that's the problem. You want omega-3, which is if you're eating meat, you're getting omega-3 and omega-9, and you're not getting all that omega-6. So I'm thinking that's very interesting that another thing about pet, uh, particularly plant-based pet food, actually drives up omega-6, which is actually attractive for Toxoplasma gondii. Anyway, look, that was my last little interesting bit on that. There's a heap of parasite suggestions coming in here, Bren. Uh, mm. They wanted back going back up to the start. Two people came in and they're all saying, "What about lungworm?" When, it, when you were talking about the entrance of that to the body, can you talk a little bit about lungworm uh, and tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So the, look, there's some main differences between what we consider lungworm. Now, lungworm we would consider affects the chest. Okay, so it may cause a cough. And really, we need to differentiate. There's a big one that's talked about is Angela strongulus vasorum. Okay, which is actually closer to what heartworm does in where it resides in that it will reside in the major vessels around the heart okay now this is one which can be ingested from snails and slugs it has been reported that if you leave dog bowls out that it could be that those eggs are found in the slime that those slugs and snails leave on dog bowls but we all know as raw food feeders we're going to clean our dog bowls so what's your problem okay um it's more likely that they are going to come from ingestion of slugs and snails and this certainly is how passes from fox to fox um because it doesn't just affect dogs okay so you think of the scavenging species that are out there that may come to ingest those you know, foxes are classic. Um, actually, uh, yes, the obvious one is going to be um, hedgehogs uh, and those sort of, uh, you know, small mammals that are going to ingest those. But generally, that's how our dogs are considered to get it, is by ingesting these things or contaminated um, feed bowls from those. And yes, it was usually a continental thing, so continental Europe, and it has passed with a lot of Toing and froing into the southeast of the country and is slowly moving north. Uh, lots of threats because it can cause clotting disorders because it lives in the major vessels of the heart. It naturally will try and thin the blood, stop it from clotting around them. You don't want to kill oh, your host. So it may then cause bleeding disorders. Um, and this is the, the risk that, you know, if they're going in for surgery and they've got these conditions. Again, different type of test because they lay the larvae into the uh, major airways which are coughed up and swallowed pass out onto the feces where slugs and snails come along munching on the feces 
and pick up the larvae, get infected as an intermediate host. Clever. So when you are monitoring your dog to see if they've got these, you can do one of two things. You can take a blood and look for the antigen that's, you know, floating around, okay, and, and see whether that's there. There's a new test for that. Or you can do a Behrman's technique, which looks for the larval stages of the lungworm. Okay, so they have to put a special filter paper into the whole process, let the larvae draw up that filter paper and look at those under the microscope so they can see them. So that's Angelostrongulus vasorum, the first one that we need to talk about. Is that what people call lungworm when people say lungworm? Or is fox yeah. lungworm a different beast? No, no, that's, that's the one that most people will now term as lungworm. And, okay. you know, it is a, it is a you know, problem elsewhere around the world, but... You know, it's relatively new since about 2007, I think, was probably where it particularly started to hit, you know, uh, people quite notably. Yeah. Um, and lots I of people were advertising uh, about it. I see. Um, that's always the problem. I see uh, that the feet, the leg count people, there's a few different uh, groups that do it. Lots of people do it, can now test for lungworm, but it's still using feces samples. So they're not doing either of the techniques you mentioned. They're using feces they samples no, no. face-to-part. So that is a feces sample. The Behrman's technique is from feces. So they That's how ask you it. to take three samples because yeah. they will vary through the circadian rhythm for when they're actually producing those larvae. So you take three little samples, mash those together, send them off to wormcount.com, Lab, um, give me another one. There's yeah, a number of them out there. Yeah. Okay. And you literally can ask them to add lungworm into the profile. Now, this is the really good bit for this particular test, the Behrman's test for looking for larvae. It isn't just for Angelostrongulus vasorum. It will also look at Oslerus osleri, which is the one that's passed by sheep and cattle into feces and dogs can pick up. What's it called? It's Oslerus osleri. Sounds like you've had a few. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. It's you at the weekend. Anyway, yeah. so. <laughs> and then there's Prenosoma sure um, vulpis, which is the fox lungworm, which you talked about. Okay. Now, these would, rather than being totally life threatening, may cause a chronic cough in your dog or cat because they will create little nodules where they sit truly within the lung in the larger airways and the bronchi, okay, and there as little nodules cause an irritation. Now, the benefit for them is as they produce the eggs and larvae, obviously those eggs are going to be coughed up on the mucus that their irritation is causing and swallowed more often. Therefore, they're perpetuating that uh, level of stuff. Now, the fox, so if your dog is out there eating fox muck, okay, you might think, oh, filthy habit, wash their mouth out, you know, maybe I just need to give them some more vitamin Bs. But it is worth getting a worm count done for looking for larvae if that happens a lot. Because mm. it, especially, especially if they start with a low-grade chronic cough. Can you describe that cough? Susie Breeze asks, what sort of cough are we talking about? A deep lung cough or a, I'm trying to clear my throat cough? Um, it's probably more a deep lung cough. It's a bronchitis sort of cough. It's going to be more of a... Like a smoker's cough. 
Okay. Okay. Listen, we also wanted to, we don't, we've run out of time, so we'll move to Patreon for oh, 10 wow. minutes, but we've got to address this uh, last worm, which is tongue worm, which oh, got yes. so... But before we do, let's ask Brian a couple more questions and see what his, what his brain is like, okay? <laughs> just just while we're talking about w- weird little bugs, okay? How, and everyone can play this game, guys, same price. How many species <laughs> of leech in Britain, do you think? How many species of leech in Britain? Oh, 200. 17. And in the 17, US, is that all? That's 17. disappointing. Well, listen, that's only a quick Google. I'm not, I'm not a leech expert. But uh, 17 in the US, uh, there is... Uh, 17 discovered. Yes, of course. There could easily be another 183 <laughs> lying out there, Brent. But Brent said there was 200, so I think we should keep looking. Uh, maybe they're just not looking hard Never prone to exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the US, how many more species things are in the US, just, just to give the, the Americans a... Oh, Let's say uh, 50. 100, 650 at the moment. They're finding all sorts because they just got so many of these wetlands. Let's just do ticks. How many species of tick in the UK? I hate ticks so much. How many species? How many different Four. species? 20. 20? Yeah, 90 in the US. 20? Yeah, no. I know. No, I was... there's, some, there's some that I'm, uh, yeah, some must have been imported. Since yeah, I was yeah his, leg, his leg fell off. It was like, oh, I found a new species. It's time to get my it's name on it. five-legged tick. <laughs> yeah. uh, last one. Oh, no, second last one. How it's many... the mouthless one, of course, which is the one that's just got pulled off without a tick hook. It's there, like... is, there is, is there a mouthless one? Mr. Starvax, I was looking for me. Oh, look, come on. It's what you'd leave the mouth parts behind when you oh, pull yes. them off without <laughs> yeah. a tick hook. <laughs> yeah, I found a new species. And my dog is dead. Um... How many how many mosquitoes are there in Britain? Many species of mosquito. Oh, thank God for that! <laughs> how yeah. many mosquitoes? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> who gets it all? <laughs> Go on. How many? Uh, there's thirty four different species 30, in the UK. There's only seven species in. Yeah, and about thirty of those thirty four are native to the British Isles. Okay, so that's including Ireland. Then when they say that, how many of those thirty want to bite humans? 23 of them. 23 of the 30 mosquito species will happily bite, bite humans. Well, by any mammal. By any mammal, right. Yeah, I kind of thought they were much more specific than that, you know. Hmm. Well, Anything not, that's warm-blooded, actually, yeah, they'll be bloodsuckers. Deb Ashton just guessed uh, 100 million. Uh, so <laughs> yes, yeah, no, she was I actually think, thinking the I same think, way no, as you. I think that's yeah, the total number of mosquitoes. Yeah. Good and guess. all Deb. in Scotland, Rachel yeah. Mack will say. Apparently so. <laughs> And there's 200 mosquitoes, 200 species of mosquitoes in the US. Last question, because this is going to be an easier one now, Brian. We're going to be expecting you to get close. How many species of snake are there in Britain? Um, oh, that's quite low, actually. I think that's um, four. Oh, you nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I only, I could only, I knew there was two. I mean, I knew, I knew about adders, adders uh, because Nick's always gone on about them, and I knew about grass snakes because we have them. Yeah, uh, and that's it. I didn't know there was another two, but there's one. Slow worm. Yeah, the slow worm. How could you call a snake a slow worm? Had to Google him. Never heard of. Oh, usually in rock walls. I've seen quite a few. I even oh, yeah. up in the lakes. Yeah, they oh, sit cool. in the dry stone walls. Easy so as much. you're reconstructing, oh, just yeah. What insects, anything that's around that's appropriate size, up to even small voles and mice and oh, stuff like that. But they are, um, so so when you do a lot of stone walling, you know, the sort of stuff that you do when you do conservation, so you're rebuilding dry stone walls all the time, that's when you'll see them in the summertime. Cool. You catch them at, at that point. 
Nice. And the last one is a smooth snake. And I was just thinking, what genius called him a smooth snake? What do you want to call him? Uh, a smooth snake, as opposed to what other type of snake? <laughs> rough do you know what I mean? Aren't they, aren't they all smooth? <laughs> How do you run on your belly if you've got lumps and bumps? Um, look, that is it, guys. Um, so there was, there was a bit there, but we're just running out of time here. So uh, we want to do a tongue worm. Um, and let's just give that a quick five minutes. It's, it deserves a yeah. battering because of what's going on. So tongue worm is a hot one. So let's move that to Patreon. Uh, what do you think, Brent? Yeah, okay. Other than yeah. we've got to say, look, it's tongue worm because it's shaped like a tongue, not because it burrows into your tongue. Okay. I'm actually surprised I didn't know that. So, I didn't think uh, it was in the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think to look. Little factoid, really? Oh, yeah. Did you not even look at it? Oh, I my think God. I didn't, think I, didn't, I didn't look at life cycle stuff. I just went straight to, anyway, the darker stuff. Anyway, That's mad. Okay, interesting. There we go. So, right. yeah. If you want to join us over on Patreon, please do. Great to oh. see you all. And thanks, guys. You've Ella. been marvellous tonight. We've loved to watch the messages as they come up. That was very As busy. always. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be back with Nick next week if he can drag himself out of his bed. Yes. Um, and, um, yeah, it's been great to see you all. Yeah. See you absolutely. all over on Patreon. Toodaloo. Blind, <laughs> <laughs>